read from those verses, Isaiah 9, 2 to 7, where uh, uh, there was a preparation taking place. This was 800 years before Jesus came, and there were prophecies which were being spoken that were telling us about the Saviour. Now, there are millions of ways we can prepare for things. Uh, you can prepare for meetings. Yeah, hopefully, you prepare for exams. You prepare. Some people prepare well in advance for exams. Some people prepare the last day before exams. I'm not sure what sort of a person you are. But there's a preparedness that needs to take place. There's always one taking place. You're always in a state of preparation. God prepares. You prepare. And God prepared this world for the Saviour coming. It wasn't just an accident. It wasn't something that just came, took place uh, that was a coincidence. It was something that had been, uh, that the people of the world had been prepared for and made ready for. Now, some churches historically uh, call this period um, Advent. I think mainly it came about because in the days uh, of, of old when people coun't read and write, the scriptures weren't in their own hands. And just as that uh, ignorance was being lifted, basically, because of the Reformation, then, then the people would go to church and somebody would read the scriptures to them on the morning and the evening and things like that because they couldn't read and write themselves. There weren't the scriptures in their hands. They had to be copied out by hand and handed round. So they were very expensive with the scriptures. So they had to go to the churches and they had to be told. And so I think it became a tradition that when they came to a place where they wanted to remember the entry of the world of the Saviour, the, the incarnation we call that, then they had a period that they called the Advent period and they would, for probably a month before Christmas, every week, they would remember specifically uh, something that was to do with the Saviour, something like he's the light of the world and they were preparing not just to celebrate but they were preparing to say to people, well, God prepared, God prepared the world for the Lord Jesus coming and therefore you need to get prepared to accept him as saviour. So it was an evangelistic, if you want to call it that, uh, effort that there was a, a time when people were expected to get ready personally, individually, for the coming of the saviour. You need to be ready to trust Christ. Christ does something in your life that brings you to a point where you see that which he's done for you as being the most important thing uh, and you see yourself in a position where you need God to deal with you. There's a preparation that takes place before you come to that point. And many people here will have a testimony where they'll say, this is what took place in my life. This is what I was thinking. And this is how my thinking was changed. I was set to doing this. This is how I was behaving. And my behavior changed when I came to trust Christ. Now, some of you might not have done that. Some of you might just be uh, traditional churchgoers. And you've never come to a place where God has prepared you so that you're really uh, acknowledging you've come to a place of sinfulness and a place where you're incapable of changing yourself. And you need to trust him who has done everything to save you. You've not come to the place of seeing Christ for who he is. God overall, and you need to do that. But many will acknowledge that they've been prepared. Uh, uh, now you can think of uh, preparation of Christ's coming. We read in Hebrews 10. I want you to uh, uh, if you've got a Bible, that's the problem. Uh, some of you will have uh, uh, um, telephones and things like that, where you can uh, quickly skip to these verses in. Hebrews uh, 10. 
verses 5 to 7, says this, Consequently, when, and this is quoting from Psalm 40, When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it's written of me in the scroll of the book. A body you have prepared for me. There's a preparation. And this was written uh, 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 as a psalm at the time of David, a thousand years before Jesus Christ came, at least. And he was talking, he was quoting this in Hebrews about the Lord Jesus Christ, and there was a preparation at that time for the Saviour coming into the world. In fact, when the world was being made, God Himself knew that it would be to His glory to send the Saviour at the time that He came. And it's to His glory that you, a sinful individual, come to trust in Jesus Christ. And it's to his glory that you become obedient to his word. And in loving obedience to him, you become a testimony to his great power. Not burnt offerings, but one whose delight was to do God's will. Now, do not con yourself or frustrate yourself in your thinking, it, no matter how religious you might seem, and how much you think of yourself as a nice and a decent and an upright person, that is not the reality of it. The reality of it is you do not delight to do God's will. In many ways, many times, there is a rebelliousness that takes place in our hearts and we cover it over with excuses, and we tell ourselves that we're not as bad as the person next to it, but we do not delight to do God's will. There is only one that delighted to do God's will, and that was the one that came from the Father. It was Jesus Christ who delighted to do God's will, no matter what the consequence, no matter how much personal harm it brought on him. It delighted him to go to the cross for you. It delighted him to obey God rather than man. And that's why his words can be trusted. He didn't need the testimony of man against him because man's testimony is never totally clean. It's never totally honest. No matter how honourable you are, it, you never see quite right. That's why Jesus doesn't need your testimony about him in that sense to say that he is good. Because the one that's saying he is good has to be good himself. He came from the Father. And so the Father's testimony was on him. His words are true. And he came. And it was his delight to do God's will. Now you can only do so as far as you are personally trusting in Christ and that's when you do his will from a clear motive the motivation of Christ in you the spirit of God in you gives you that motivation to delight to do his will it's not a hundred percent clear clean and clear and as it should be even as believers we still recognize our own sinfulness but 
there is this work within you or within any believer that makes us want to and it moves us towards delighting to do God's will so therefore we become obedient and therefore the word of God becomes more and more influential in our lives. Now that's difficult today because I recognize in myself and so I presume I recognize in you at the same time that in these days of social media and ease of access to any information regularly just through the uh, 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 operation of opening your device then we less and less consider and think and give ourselves to the word of God and to seeking to obey him. I once uh, heard of, a, uh, there was a famous um, cricketer that had come to faith in England and someone went past, he was at university and someone uh, said, I regularly go past you and see in the early hours, maybe five o'clock in the morning, that light on in your room, what's taking place there? He said, I'm looking for something to obey. I'm looking for something to obey. Something had taken place where it delighted him to obey. Now, therefore the question comes straight away. Do you delight to obey? And if you delight to obey, do you like, delight to obey so much that you open the word of God and seek what you can obey? Because you know that in obedience is blessing. Do you do that? Do you seek to do God's will? That's one of the evidences that you're in Christ. Maybe you doubt whether you're in Christ. You've got some issues and things like that taking place. Well, do you delight to do God's will? That's part of the Spirit's work in you. If you do not delight, if you're only coming along to church because it's Christmas and it's a tradition and you think you need to do that, well, it's probably not that you're a believer yet. And you need to seek God. This might be the day where God has prepared you for, where you realize you need to come to trust him. I hope it is so. Anyway, we read the prophecies of Christ even before uh, that passage that we read in the scriptures of uh, uh, Luke 2, where it was talking about the birth of Jesus Christ. We had... Uh, um, uh, uh, Zachariah, who was the father of John the Baptist, who, uh, uh, it's a song really, it's written in the Bible, and as he, what he writes in that song is very interesting. Reading from verse 68 of Luke chapter 1, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Okay, so there's an expectation within the culture that a redeemer would come. Within the believers, there was an expectation, they'd been prepared for it. Okay. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. The promise of the covenant to Abraham, that which was spoken about by the prophets, it was there in black and white, it was told, it wasn't just some sort of uh, 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 
strange charismatic figure that appeared on the face of the earth at some time and was uh, uh, one that spoke good things and so it was a nice thing to follow him. That's utter nonsense. I mean, it's quite a phenomenal issue that even those that don't acknowledge Jesus as Lord, even those that are from different religions have to acknowledge that there's a certain period in time uh, uh, that the, almost the whole of the world celebrates the birth and at the same time they're declaring that that one that was born was the one that was going to die and rise again to save. And so the world celebrates the birth of this child. Look, I forget my own birthday. I forget the birthdays of my children. Now you might say, well that's because you're old and some people have phenomenal memories. Well think of your own countries and your own land. I mean when was Winston Churchill, when was he born? I mean when was the Queen Elizabeth born? She's only just died and we'll forget that in a couple of years time. We don't celebrate it, we don't rejoice in it, we don't deal with it. But the birth of Jesus Christ, this nobody born into a poor family in abject poverty, we celebrate him year after year, time after time, and though the date is probably not the 25th of December, we actually come together and rejoice in both the birth and the death and the resurrection of this one without fail. We can't forget it. It is so massively powerful and big. God had prepared, and God is still doing amazing things. You remember that the disciples after Jesus died and the ones that were walking on the road to Emmaus, he said to them, foolish ones and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken beginning with Moses and all the prophets. He interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Harking back to Isaiah 53, he must suffer. And it was written, it was clearly declared, it was prepared. There's a preparation that God, you say, well, I'm being prepared now for great things, to make lots of money. That's not the preparation you're in. You're in the preparation to love and to serve and obey and walk with him because the trivialities of this world will end one day and you will need to go into that place beyond the life of this world, and it will be eternal life for your eternal separation from you, are you prepared for that one? Is the preparation for eternity in your hearts, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken, they had spoken clearly about him. Micah told us where he would be born. Isaiah told us, what he would be like. We have that testimony that he was of the line of David. One like Moses. Abraham knew as Emmanuel spoke last night, uh, last week, that the gospel was preached through Abraham. This man of faith. We can go further back to that time when everything was being prepared and we were being convinced. So when the people of Israel at the time of Christ, they were waiting, Daniel had spoken about a time and there was this expectation. Now they were expecting the wrong thing. 
Many people rejected him. He came to his own, but his own uh, received him not. To as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. In John chapter 1, he tells us that one. There were those that believed, that were prepared, that were ready. Zechariah was ready, who spoke this. Mary was prepared. Joseph was prepared. There were those that were prepared. There were those in the temple. Anna was prepared. There was Simon that was prepared. You see, God not only prepared a body for Christ, he worked throughout the whole of humanity, through history, through culture, to a specific point in time when the world was ready, so much ready, that the roads through the Roman Empire were made in such a way that the gospel rapidly spread throughout the whole of the world. And it's still spreading through the whole of the world to a specific period a specific hour. It's very interesting in John's Gospel. He said, keeps saying, my time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And yet, when the Gentiles came and asked about him, all of a sudden he turned and said, the hour is come. He knew that he would need to suffer and go through this death because it was the will of the Father. He had come to do that. He wasn't afraid of death. He had come to die the saviour in the world came at the time prepared the preparation was deep it was thorough it was complete we mentioned it briefly about Adam and Eve and we mentioned these key points that were taking place but it, it's throughout every page of scripture this preparation for the saviour for God's glory to be seen. In 1 John 3, 8, it tells us why. Uh, uh, if I just get to that. Um, I think I've got the quotation right. It's... Um, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, you know the verse? Why did the Son of God appear? Church, you're not with me. Why did the Son of God appear? Right, we'll take it this side first. Why did the Son of God appear? It's a quiet one. Why did the Son of God appear? To destroy the works of the devil. He came specifically to do something that could not be done by any amount of nuclear weapons. It could not be done by any Elon Musk. It could not be achieved by any individual or any nation. It could not be done by Alexander the Great. It could not be done by your present prime minister or president or the one that you're going to elect in a short period of time. It can only be done by the Lamb of God, the perfect one, the sinless one, the one who is like us in every respect except without sin. He took on the devil and defeated him for you and for me. And the only way to get rid of the satanic influences in your life is to come to the one 
who dealt with Satan on his own terms and defeated him on the cross when Satan thought he'd wiped out the Lamb of God and yet God's verdict on that very action of wicked men hanging him on the cross was that verdict was wrong and it needed reversing and God the Father reversed that verdict and Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and you need to know him John the Baptist was called to prepare the way, to call people to repentance, to help sinful man to see the Saviour. He couldn't preach salvation. He could preach repentance. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent. Turn from the ways which are wrong within your lives. Turn from the thieving and the lies and the, and the, the ways in which you're trying to con and deceive people. Turn from the way. And people recognised what he was saying was true. They recognised there was power. They recognised, yes, if we do turn again, they recognised that the reason that they went into, as a people of God, into the, uh, in, into the Babylonian exile was because of their own sin. They looked at the prophets then and they said, the prophets spoke well. We were wrong, so therefore we need to be holy. There was a desire for them to be holy. If we all repent and really come to a place of holiness, then maybe the Saviour might come to us. It's what they were thinking. The Saviour had come, but not in the way that they were expecting. But John the Baptist was making the way so that people could see the Saviour, so that when he came, they would be ready to listen to him. You can't see the Saviour without repentance. He won't come to you on your terms. He won't come to you and pat you on the back and say, I think you're a very good person, why don't you come and join my team? doesn't deal with that. He won't pat you on the back and say, come to me and you'll be successful. He won't do that. Because in the way is this greed and this desire for success that is well and above beyond the desire for repentance and faith in Jesus. You come to him as nothing. That's the only way you can come to Jesus to turn from your own wisdom, your own aims, your own confidence in yourself, your own positive thinking. You need to see completely how broken and incapable you are. John the Baptist preached repentance. And it's then that you will come to the Saviour and recognise in him all. That he is completing what he does. That he totally and utterly can deal with your sin and your wrong and he can totally and utterly give you the spirit within you and he can totally and utterly save you for eternity forever and forever. Not just in this short period of time you're on this small uh, uh, world. Look at Jesus' birth. Not only through the history of Israel, the preparation, there'd been complete preparation, uh, the lineages of the birth lines. We see from both uh, uh, Joseph and Mary from Luke and Matthew, that he was the descendant of David. They looked for one whose throne was going to be an everlasting kingdom. They were thinking maybe again, like David and David's sons, that, that Jesus would come and the sons after him. But the problem is, the testimony of David was this, that David wasn't holy, that Solomon wasn't holy, and then immediately after Solomon, the whole thing fell totally apart. The sons that come after us are not going to be holy because we are holy. 
It just doesn't happen. The testimony was not that, but one was going to have an everlasting kingdom. Well, was his son going to be holy after him? No. He was going to be risen to an everlasting life. This one, this descendant of David, this one that was promised, that David's kingdom was a, was a, 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 a testimony, a prophecy, if you want to call it that, about the one that was going to come. And then we have Joseph and Mary, both ones that were expectancy, expecting not just a baby, but expecting the saviour to come. And, and to actually imagine what Mary had to carry was phenomenal. Because there she was, pregnant out of wedlock in those days. And what shame do you think that threw upon her? And a willingness to accept that for the sake of the saviour. Oh, Mary knew these things. She knew what the angel had said. She knew these things. They were hidden in her heart. But the rest of her outside family or outside community or everything else, they would have rejected her horrendously. And there was Joseph as well. A good man we know because he was willing to put Mary aside quietly. He could have openly put her to shame. Even threatened stoning her, but he wasn't going to do that. He was a gentle soul. Loved Mary, but he still had to put her away until the angel spoke to him. Now later on we hear that people said about Jesus, they said to him, we know who our father and mother, but you don't know where you're from. They knew. How could they follow such a one? Oh, but it had to be. The virgin shall be with child. This will be a sign, 714 Isaiah, that you would know that this child was not born in sinfulness. This child was the Holy One, the sign. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, there's also not more, uh, a little bit more than a hint there of this. That it's okay when you come from certain countries and you've got lots of people that are Christians and you all go to church together and everyone says that's a good thing to do. You know, you come here and you tell your mums and dads I've been to church and they say, well done, that's a good thing to do. You're not rejected. You don't carry any shame about this. But there are those that have to carry shame and rejection from saying that they're going to trust Jesus Christ. And you might follow, have shame and rejection if, for the sake of following Jesus Christ and your obedience, you lose money. Then you may be facing shame. But, but Mary was willing to have that shame. Joseph was willing to take that shame. And you as believers, so very often, have to come to a point where it's not uh, seen as the right thing to do or the good thing to do. To trust and follow Jesus Christ, to obey Christ. Sometimes it will bring what I would only call shame on you before certain areas of your communities. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to accept the shame that comes, prepared for the rejection of the world? But on the plus side of that, there's a preparation for the acceptance of heaven. Grown up in an oppressed nation, in a poor family, Mary, 
the, the firstborn son. You had to give a sacrifice for the firstborn son, the first male that opened the womb, as they say. And um, she gave two turtle doves, knowing that she was poor, not rich. The shepherds, poor, rough men, were spoken to by angels. Angels were suddenly working. Angels, messengers of God. They had a high uh, value in uh, Jewish society. Angels were the ones that brought the messengers to the prophets that spoke them. They were seen as upper. That's why in Hebrews it tells us that Jesus is so much better than the angels. Why? Because he was the message of God. He wasn't just one that brought the message of God. The, the uh, angels are messengers. But it was not to the rich and famous, first of all. And then the wise men, whoever they were, these kings or these rich people. Can you think of a rich person? I don't know if you're rich or whether you're poor in your own society or in your community. Maybe you've come from a prince or a king of your tribe or something like that. Or maybe you've not. Maybe you're a poor person. So poor, poor people are not... Well, they're not that important, are they? You don't give them much time, really. You feel uh, a little bit rejected and a little bit not very, uh, uh, you don't feel very good about yourself. But here were three wise men, three kings who came, and they saw this family in poverty, and they actually, the word goes, they worshipped. Twice we're told that they worshipped. I mean, what would persuade a king to bow down and worship a family or a baby that was in a a situation of abject poverty. What would actually persuade them to do that? What would motivate them to do that? Well, they knew they read the scriptures. They followed the star. They knew the scriptures. And they knew this was not just a, a, a king of Israel. They knew it was something far bigger than that. And they worshipped. They looked at this baby and they worshipped. And I'm afraid that's what you've got to do. You've got to look at this baby and you've got to worship him. As I think, I don't know if it was Luther or Calvin said, said, I don't have no other God. But that baby in Bethlehem, that one that was dependent on humanity, that one that wiggled his little arms and his little toes and you looked at him and go, ooh, how sweet he was. That is the God over all. And until you bow yourself down to the baby of Bethlehem, you are still in your own sins. The image of the Father. They saw the preparation of God. He was a man accredited by God. This John Stott said this about him. I'm quoting him here. Jesus was a man accredited by God through miracles, and anointed by the Spirit to do good and to heal. Despite this, he was crucified through the agency of wicked men, though also by God's purpose, according to the Scriptures, that the Messiah must suffer. Then God reversed the human verdict on Jesus by raising him from the dead, also according to the Scriptures and as attested by the apostolic eyewitnesses. Next, God exalted him to the place of supreme honour as Lord and Saviour. He now possesses full authority uh, uh, to save those who repent, believe and are baptised in his name, bestowing on them the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Spirit, 
and judge those who reject him. Do you know the Saviour? The preparation of God's people. They went through a deep and detailed preparation. Mankind rebelled. Here's the picture. You are rebellious. You need to accept that. You need to see that. God was to be glorified in redeeming rebellious mankind. Not that there was anything loving in them. There was everything loving in him. And that love moved him towards you. Do you see in that baby of Bethlehem, God in his love moving towards you? That baby of Bethlehem that puts out his hands to you. He's moving to you. God's moving to you because you can't move to him. There's something in your heart that stops you. And he shows his grace and love and his glory in that frail situation. Faith in God and loving obedience, trusting his grace is what is needed in you. It was shown through Noah, through Abraham, salvation through faith. Faith in God alone who could deal with the human condition. Nobody else, no philosopher, no psychologist, no psychiatrist, no great leader can deal with the human condition. As stated only and only Jesus Christ. No religion, no philosophy. There is nothing that can deal with the issues that you have except Jesus Christ. Now God showed his holy ways in the law to Moses, but that was only after he saved his people. There are some that get confused and they start trying to do good things so that God will accept them. God won't accept you. Your good things are not motivated by the right way. No matter how good they are, I'm better than that person. That person's a Christian, I'm better than him. You might well be. But you're not clothed with Christ's righteousness. You're not covered and your sins are still open. You need to bow before the Saviour. They couldn't walk with holiness. If they turned around and said, we can't do those commandments, we need your help, that would have been a different issue. Yes, we will do it. We will show how holy and clever we are. No, they were saved prior. They were taken out of the uh, slavery and captivity of Egypt by the sacrifice of the Lamb, protected by the blood. Then, this is how we live. You need to come to the blood. They rebelled against the God who blesses. And so do you. Sadly, even after you become a believer, so do you. So do I. But that's where the church comes in. It's the place of God's blessings upon you where we can encourage each other and keep learning and keep coming back to these truths. When the kings of Israel walked in holiness and obedience, then they were a blessed people. When they, through all sorts of excuses, came against him and decided ways round or interpreting the word of God in different ways, then he took his hand away from them in preparation for the Saviour so that you could know that you cannot mess with this God. 
And the only way that you can deal with a God who cannot be messed with is through him himself who came in Jesus. You cannot get round it. Even with the best of circumstances of blessing, man still twists God's word. Your pastors still twist God's word because of their own rebelliousness, even without wanting to. We don't see it sometimes. We need to keep coming back to being washed by the word. We need each other. I need you. We need to keep each other holding to the world. God held the promise of a redeemer savior before them every day in that temple where the sacrifices were taking place, he was saying, a redeemer, saviour, a redeemer, saviour, a redeemer, saviour, a redeemer, saviour. Trust in the redeemer, saviour. But now we see the redeemer, saviour at Christmas. We see in Galatians 4, 4 to 7, um, It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Amen. And because you are sons, God has sent his the spirit of his son into our hearts amen crying abba father so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir to god an heir to god's kingdom that's what he makes you is that important to you to be an heir to God's kingdom. God in his love has done this. Again, look at the baby in the manger and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look at the baby in the manger and see God Working to save you. Is your heart prepared to receive him? There are some of you here whose hearts need to be prepared to receive him. Now you could be at a time now where you say, I will trust him now. I've been fighting against him, I will trust him now. You could say, well, this is just a preparation step. It might be. But then again, you might be one that's a believer in Christ and you might be thinking, well, that's okay. I believed, I've trusted in Christ, but I'm not really wanting to walk in faith properly on these issues. Well, God needs to deal with you, but you are in a preparation for heaven then. If you're Christ, then you're in a preparation for heaven. You need to take that seriously. It's a joyful thing, but it's struggling against the world. It is. Readiness for heaven 
probably we need to think an awful lot about this. Are you ready for heaven? Because it's what we want to be in. You want to be in heaven. There'd be a new heaven and a new, new earth where righteousness dwells. That's what we're wanting. It doesn't put a lot of money in the bank, but it really puts a lot of stuff in the heart. But your starting point is bowing to this baby and then in faith and in love and obedience and uh, 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 full confidence of his promises, you grow up in holy love, in readiness for heaven, in loving service as you become more and more like Jesus, forgiving more, serving more, doing good more, giving more, blessing more, building up wherever you can more and more. This is your preparation for eternal life, trusting freely, not in your goodness, but in the promises of God. Amen.